This is the Bulls on the Birds podcast, episode number four, coming to you from Chester County. Let's get started with the yes or no rapid fire. Sounds good. Jeffrey Lurie announced that the Eagles would become the first NFL franchise to start a marketing campaign in Africa, specifically Ghana. As a Philadelphia Eagles fan living in Philly, you are excited to have a fellow Eagles fan in Africa. You know, I'm excited to have fellow Eagles fans anywhere. Yes. And if it's Ghana, that's great. That might be a bit of a stretch, I think, at this point, <laughs> quite honestly. I, I mean, even jo- Joel Embiid, he's yeah. coming from Cameroon, and I don't know how many Cameroon fans the 76ers have. Exactly, exactly. Now, the other two countries they mentioned, New Zealand and Australia, I can see that. We've got a couple guys from there. They've got professional, huge professional rugby teams right which has a lot of similarity to football so it's an easy bounce if you're a rugby fan already to become a football fan especially if one of your premier rugby players jordan mylata ends up being drafted and then becomes a star player on the eagles it's huge you know it reminds me a lot of uh, when american baseball players started going over to japan yeah right and now we've got a a large contingent of japanese Japanese players coming to america so yeah i can see that with australia and new zealand most Americans think Australia and New Zealand are the same One country, nation yeah. anyway. So. <laughs> when you said Australia and New Zealand, I thought, isn't that the same country? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's great. Do you think internationalizing the franchise takes a little bit out of the local element, the local fan base? Yeah, I can, I can see it. I honestly don't think it does. Okay. I've got a buddy in California, and there's a bar called the Eagle's Nest. Out in California? In California. He's in the heart of Santa Clara. (laughs) You know, they're on the San Francisco's back doorstep. So you got a Philly's Nest in the West Coast. Yeah, you've got a Philly's Nest there. He's there every Sunday for every Eagle's game. He is there. I bet you it's packed, right? And it's a huge contingent. Yeah, they're singing the Eagle's Fight song. Um, (laughs) So, no, it's great. We were talking about Manchester United. Yeah, Manchester United. One of their biggest fan base is is in Africa, specifically Rwanda. And after the Rwandan genocide, actually, it was their love for soccer, specifically Manchester United, that was used by the government as a reconciling agent between the two tribes that had just been at civil war with each other. Wow. They came together, united themselves in being fans of Manchester United, cheering together for that team whenever their games are on. The whole tribe would get together and watch the game. That's incredible. And then being inspired to play soccer with one another. Yeah. I guess that's how Manchester may have gotten their uh, name, Manchester United. Yeah, Manchester, yeah <laughs> uniting the world. It would certainly right. be a good tagline. <laughs> yeah, Owned he, by a Russian oligarch. The guy's a great businessman. They Clearly. are the most valuable franchise in the world Yeah, is Manchester United. And I'll tell you what. As much as you want the NFL to be a sacred sport in a sense, sacred specifically for America, right. you know, football is very much an American tradition, it makes sense to go global. And quite frankly, if we get a global fan base, that gives us a competitive advantage. That gives us revenue streams right. that we can utilize to outperform or outmaneuver other teams within the NFL. Absolutely. And if, if we're not doing that and other teams are taking advantage of that global revenue, then right. it just becomes harder for us to play on the national scene. Exactly. So number two, Eagles defensive coordinator Gannon has emphasized his desire for versatility 
at every position. That's one of the themes we're seeing both in the draft picks and the free agency pickups. We're not drafting or picking up in free agency one-dimensional defensive players. Right. These are defensive athletes who are versatile, and that's something that Gannon really cares about. You like Gannon's move towards versatile athletic players on the defense. I do. I think that move shows he's adapting to the modern-day NFL. You think of just the quarterback position being a dual threat now. Right. That's a big change. I, I think you've got to answer that. And one way to answer that, you've got to have more versatile defenders. Specifically linebackers and edge rushers, exactly. where I think the majority of our versatility is coming from. And not just the change in position at the quarterback, but we've been talking about how a three, four down running back really doesn't exist anymore. Right. Most running backs are being tasked with wide receiver routes, catching the ball out of the backfield. Right. So that position is changing as well, and we're seeing a lot of halfback matchups on linebackers. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Tyreek Hill uh, a running back or, or a wide receiver? That was always the thing. Every time I would ask, you know, my friend, like, what what, what position does Tyreek Hill play? Half of them would say running back. Half of them would say yeah. wide receiver. Yeah. And, you know, running backs like Tyreek Hill are running a go route from just that flag. Yeah, right. From that flag route. It's, yep. it's incredible. It and is incredible. the Eagles used that last year and had some success with it. One thing I notice is we mentioned this on – the Eagles brass trying to create a, a mini Kansas City. Yeah, here. we want to be the Kansas City yeah. of the East. And I see that thread now running through the defense with the ver- highly versatile players. Athletic, speed. Right, right. That's what Kansas City made their offense. And I, now I see that thread running through their defense. And we said that's one thing that the Eagles had to do was we couldn't just try and duplicate Kansas City's strategy. We right. had to kind of take it and make it our own. Right. And so making this versatile, speedy, athletic defense rather than the offense is maybe one way we make it our own brand. Right. And this is sinking way down the line, and a lot of things would have to fall into place. But can you imagine that versatile Kansas City-type defense going up against a Kansas City offense in a Super Bowl? Oh, man, that would be how awesome. Great, how great would that be? Absolutely. I would love that. <laughs> When you got when you got Jordan Davis running down Patrick Mahomes, right, right, exactly. <laughs> now the one big concern or one big consideration I would have is how easily and quickly can you make substitutions and personnel changes? And that was something we struggled with last yeah, season. We yeah. really struggled to get the substitutions in on times, and we end up right. being you know hit with penalties because we weren't getting them in on time. Right, right. You know, a versatile crew. Defensive crew makes takes that question mark out of the equation. Right. It's not such a big deal if you don't get a substitution because you don't have a one-dimensional player on the right. field such that he can play a role that he's not used to playing on the fly. Exactly. That's where an Aaron Rodgers will pick you apart. Right. When he yeah. sees that mismatch, he's going oh, to take yeah. advantage of that. So if you have a versatile player, those mismatches come up less often. Exactly. And you get burnt by a a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers a lot less. Yeah, so I like that approach. I do too. Nick Foles signs a two-year deal with the Indianapolis Colts, reuniting with Frank Reich, his offensive coordinator during the Eagles' Super Bowl run in 2017. So I asked the same question I asked, I think, a couple (laughs) weeks ago. Will Nick Foles be a relevant quarterback in the NFL again? You know, the Nick Foles story just never goes away. (laughs) No way, baby. (laughs) St. Nick forever. Right. I I mentioned the only way he could be relevant is in Philly. 
Well, right. I can think of the Colts kind of as Philly Midwest. That's the truth. We picked up Nick Sirianni right. from the Colts yeah, organization, yeah. and that was after we sent Frank Reich, our offensive coordinator, to right. become head coach of the Indianapolis exactly. Colts. Then when he got there, he picked up Carson, Carson Wentz, Wentz from the Eagles. So there is a very, very deep Colts to Eagles connection here. Yeah, it gives you a look into the 2017 Super Bowl team. Maybe Frank Reich was more involved than than we think. than what we think, and maybe right. he's setting setting himself up for a similar run here. Exactly. Matt Ryan's not the youngest guy in the world. He isn't, and he hasn't had a history of injury problems. But it, it's almost one of those things where that's good that he hasn't had injuries in the past. Right. That could be a positive. But you could also look at it in a negative way, say that, well, he's kind of due for an injury. Right, yeah. I think the Colts were extremely disappointed about not making the playoffs last year. I think so. And I think they largely blame that on Carson Wentz and specifically that Jacksonville loss, the last game of the season. Yeah, where there was really no reason they should have not been able to clinch yeah. a playoff spot. That's that's not a game Matt Ryan loses. The right. guy's got too much experience. Right. He's a top-tier, top-level quarterback, former MVP. Even his off days are still above-average days, right. and right. all they needed to do was play average yeah. and to, to beat the Jaguars. You don't think Matt Ryan has that? I have to make the big play. Doesn't seem like it. That, You're right. That, that Wentz think, has. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's gone to Wentz's detriment. One other point about the whole Nick Foles story. Yeah. Nick Foles has shown himself to be incredibly relevant when it comes to When it's playoff time, time baby. Yeah. That's yeah. the truth. And I got to believe the Colts are thinking about that, too. I think so, for sure. Yeah. Staying on the topic of Nick Foles, there were some rumors when the Bears released him rather than signing him for that third year. Yeah. That the Eagles were in talks with Foles. Should we have made uh, a more concerted effort to get him? No. To bring St. Nick back to Philly? We can't open that Pandora's box again. We've got a a very good backup in Garner Menchu. He played well last year when when he was in. He was a starter in Jacksonville, and he did well as a starter. And I would say for the last 40 quarterbacks that the Jaguars have had in the last five years, (laughs) Minshew was probably top five, right? Yeah, (laughs) right. Hertz is going to have a lot of pressure on him this year. We've given him what he needs to succeed. So with that pressure, there's no reason to add to it. Throw another straw on the camel's back. That's, and that's a really what good point. Picking up Nick Foles would do. Yeah, it's got to creep into his mind one way or another. No matter how strong you are mentally. Right. right. I think the only way Nick can return to the birds is if he's the true the number definitive one. number one. Exactly. And yeah. that cannot happen this year because this is Hertz's year. Exactly. Exactly. Or if he's a number. Two behind a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers, and those guys aren't going to be are going to be coming here. So agreed. Yeah, yeah. Reports emerged this week that Jeffrey Lurie has actually stepped back from meddling with the roster and essentially given Howie the complete keys to the kingdom. Do you believe that Howie's been held back by Lurie's meddling, and that the off season he's had this year, which everyone is saying is an excellent year, is more indicative? of his expected performance going forward? I certainly hope so, because that's great signs for the future of the How Eagles. he was wheeling and dealing this yeah. offseason. Yeah, he was. And I tell you what, if he, if he was able to do that because Lurie wasn't meddling with it, then, like all stories, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle of those two extremes. Sure, sure. But I, I can see 
it being leaning more towards, yeah, the reins were off. And it, it's one of two things. Howie either had to make an incredible splash this year because his job, his on job the was line. on the line. Right. right. Or number two, he had more freedom to go out and do what he needed to do, and he just nailed it. And so he wasn't being handicapped, and right. we saw the full Howie. Right. So ideally, that would be the storyline we go with. Worst case scenario, the pass was all Howie, but he's learned from his mistakes, right? Right. Now drafted from the SEC. He drafted a linebacker, for crying out loud. <laughs> this is not the Howie we know. No. But the question remains, is this Howie... The true Howie, the Howie that's been there all along, but he's been held back by Lurie? Or is it a Howie who's simply grown in wisdom? Maybe some of the constraints from Lurie has come off. Not too sure. But, yeah. but either scenario is a good one for us. Absolutely. Whether it's the Howie who's learned from his mistakes or it's the Howie who's been you know, released from the shackles that Lurie had him in. Right. The future's bright. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, awesome yes or no section. Thanks, DB. Good deal. You bet. So let's get into our main show. A couple things I want to catch up on. First off, the power rankings have just come out. Yeah. So the power rankings are rankings that sports media outlets put out, ranking all the NFL teams in terms of how they think they'll perform in the upcoming season. And when you take a look at the rankings the Eagles receive from different sports media outlets, I would say it's interesting because it's a pretty wide range of placements. Yeah. So the worst placement they got was 17th from the BNR. Okay. ESPN ranked them at 16th. Hmm. NFL.com at 15th. Sports Illustrated at 15th. And then it starts to get interesting. USA Today ranks them at 12th. CBS at 11th. And NBC at 9th. Wow. So first off, we made the playoffs last year. Right. We have another easy schedule this year. Especially when you compare our schedule to Dallas. Right. And on top of that, many are saying that we've had the best offseason of any NFL team. Yeah. I would say it would be an extreme disappointment if we did not make the playoffs this year. I agree. So the, the major- those, That's certainly the expectation. Yeah. So how, how, how many teams make the playoff? We've got seven in each league, right? So 14. So if you're looking at ESPN 16th, NFL 15th, Sports Illustrated 15th, BNR 17th, those media outlets are projecting we're not even going to be in the playoff mix. Right, right. And that would not be a good indicator for Hertz. No, although last year we probably weren't top 14 and we made the playoffs. That's a good point. We kind of outplayed our position. Yeah, yeah. So if the Eagles end up, let's say, you know, 17th as the BNR. Right states and they don't make the playoffs what went wrong how did we end up in that spot how do we become that disappointment that that's a good question i think of things that could go wrong that could really change the outcome of the season i think most people feel that we had we have draft picks that should be able to be starters right off the bat and impact players jordan davis nicole dean yeah obviously the aj brown acquisition right right so I think one thing that could possibly go wrong is if those guys aren't quite NFL ready yet. If okay. it takes a little longer for them to get up to snuff, for them to, to learn the ropes of the NFL. And that that's not a, a crazy thing. not uncommon. Thought. Right. The learning curve is usually a little steeper than what anyone anticipates. Exactly. Yeah. Even for high round draft picks. Yeah. And, and I think we've got a number of positions where we expect young guys to, to really outperform. And, yeah. 
start. So that that's one thing. Second thing is obviously Jalen Hurts. He doesn't have the season we're expecting or at least hoping for. And I don't think he needs to be an MVP quarterback. He just needs to be a good manager out there, improve his passing game a little. We know he's got the legs. So if he can just step step up his play a little, I don't think he's going to be the problem that causes us to be number 17 or worse. I think you're right. I think the question with Hertz is, is he the ceiling? Can he utilize what Howie has given him? Good point. In the form of AJ Brown. Yeah. And all the weapons Howie's brought in for him, or are those weapons going to be somewhat offset by the ceiling that Hurts has. Limited, right. Yeah, right. Are they going to be limited by the ceiling that Hurts yeah. has? That's, that's a good question, and I, I think we're looking to have that question answered this year. Right. Is Hurts a limiting factor? Exactly, exactly. The third one, and I might say this is the one I think that could be the most likely scenario, Okay. is injuries. We were the most injured team in all the NFL last year. Yeah, and you had mentioned there's one thing that's changed from last year to this year. Yeah, and this is actually why I think this might not be as likely as as you would think. If you look at the Eagles team from the last three or four years, we have always been in the top five most injured teams in the NFL. Right. And you would expect for that tradition to continue going into this year. Right. But I actually don't think it will, only because, and you've said it in earlier episodes, for the last three, four years... The Eagles have been an old team yeah. getting older. Right. I mean, we just, we had age. Yes. And with age comes preponderance for injury. Yep, absolutely. But I would say a big theme of the draft and the offseason acquisitions, not just this year, but last year. Right. We're bringing in young players, we are. man. Absolutely. I mean, we're calling our veterans 24-year-olds, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's right. A.J. Yeah. Brown, Brown, 24 veteran. years old, veteran NFL wide receiver. Exactly, yeah. And I think with, with that youth, that influx of youth, comes a certain amount of resiliency. Absolutely. A certain amount of ability to avoid injury that age just simply uh, yeah. can't present with. And maybe even play through an injury. And maybe even play yeah. through an injury. Yeah. The only concern I have there is our O-line, which I think is a huge, strong factor for us, a huge playmaking group. We need them to, to make plays. Yeah. And we've got some older guys. I mean, yeah, we do. Jason Kelsey. Yep. Has Lane been say- Johnson. Kelsey's been saying this would be his retirement year for like five years right. now. Right, right. Yeah. Lane Johnson, yeah. who, who who has dealt with a lot of injuries yeah. in the past. Yeah. And even our young guys, I mean, Landon Dickerson, mm-hmm. right, coming back off a torn ACL right. last year. So that really would be the one concern is that O-line specifically. Yeah. Now, Can the we, O-line stay healthy? Exactly. Because that, that's huge. I think that helped uh, contribute to Carson Wentz's downfall. Yeah. And for Jalen Hurts to be able to do what we need him to do, he can't be under the kind of pressure that Wentz was. But those guys need to stay healthy. Now, the one good thing is we've gotten a little deeper at O-line. I, I think Hertz is a question mark, and we'll see if he's a limiting limiting factor or not on this offense. Right. I have a really hard time believing, though, that Hertz is going to be a limiting factor on this right. offense, only because he's such a gamer. He is. I agree with you. I think this offense is going to make a jump. And like you said, his play doesn't have to be incredible. He doesn't have to have an MVP year. But even Andy Reid came out this week and said, look, Jalen Hurts is an incredibly hard worker, yeah. and he has a huge amount of desire 
to get better. Yes. Those two things will translate to some sort of improvement, especially when they're mixed with all the assets we've acquired for him in the offseason. So I I think there is going to be a big jump that the offense makes, even if it isn't as big as everyone wants to see. So I think the most likely scenario is this steep learning curve that the rookies are going to yeah. are going to have. Anytime rookies are interviewed when they get to the NFL, they're always asked, you know, what's been the most surprising thing about playing in the NFL compared to when you played in college? And they always say the speed of yeah, the game, the man. Game is so the much game faster. is so much faster. My reaction time is too slow. I have less time to make my reads. Everything happens at, at a much quicker pace. Right. And even for high round draft picks, that learning curve can be steep. And if you take a look at the Eagles' schedule, our easy games are very much front-loaded at right. the beginning of the I year. Agree. So if we have rookies who we're expecting to be uh, vital contributors right away, and they do have to undergo this steep learning curve, you could see us losing a couple of games that you would think no-brainer wins yeah. in the beginning, digging ourselves a little bit of a hole, and then by week six or seven... Those rookies are are playing to the level we expected them to play out, but we've already dug a deep b- deep enough hole that we can't pull out wins against Green Bay or Tennessee right. later on in the season. Right. No, I I think that's a very valid point and kind of a branch off of that tree is not just our rookie players. I mean, let's not forget we've got two second year coaches too. Sirianni and Gannon. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and- Sirianni had that learning curve last he year. Did. It was a six-week learning curve. He wasn't running the ball, and our offense was awful for that first six weeks. Yep. And we probably took a couple losses that we shouldn't have taken. Yeah. He met that learning curve. He adjusted, but he still had it. Yeah, and now he's got some new pieces in the offense, and is there going to be a learning curve there as well? So part of that as well is our, our, our coaches getting NFL ready quicker as well. Not just for Sirianni, but for Gannon as well. Yeah, yeah, because we've given Gannon a lot of uh, lot of leeway. weapons now. Yeah, we right. We've given Gannon a lot of weapons, and he said last year, "Look, I have a defensive scheme that's going to work. I just do not have the manpower or the talent to execute it." And I think it was largely correct there. But we've clearly given him that manpower this year. Right. Again, w- will there be a learning curve for him? Those are kind of the three scenarios that we have for the Eagles. Ending up 17th or worse, not right. making the playoffs. But NBC has the Eagles power ranking at nine, which would indicate that not only do they make the playoffs, but they likely win their first round. Right. So if the Eagles end up, let's say, ninth or better, looking back on a good season, what would you say went right? I think what went right was the opposite of what could have gone wrong, quite honestly. Our rookies learn the game quick. Yeah, every offseason draft or move that we made worked out. And, and I think we have to throw the and in there, Jalen Hurts has a decent year or even better. And again, he doesn't have to have an MVP year. He just can't have a bad year. Yeah, and, and, and we avoid the injury bug. Right, right. That makes sense. And I would, I would add to that, our secondary performance last year was pretty embarrassing. Yes, and it, we were always in games because of our defensive line was so strong. Right. 
But, man, when we went up against teams with elite quarterbacks, like when we went up against the Packers with Aaron Rodgers or the Buccaneers in the first that round with Tom ugly. Brady, it got ugly, man. And it was it was like watching an NFL team play a college football right. team. And I think if we end up in the playoffs and potentially winning the first round or going even deeper, one story that we'll look back and say that went right was our secondary wasn't a complete embarrassment. Yeah, Darius Slay starts making big plays. Right. Bradbury comes in and shuts down the, the opposing QBs. Yeah. We have a secondary that doesn't look as vulnerable to elite quarterbacks as it did last year. Yeah, because you've got Darius Slay, but if you've got no one on the other side, it's easy to throw around Darius Slay. You don't have to go at him. Now, pick your poison. Pick your poison, Slay or Bradbury. Yeah, yeah. And on top of that, with the edge rushing help that we got right. and the additional manpower in the middle with Jordan Davis, Right. I got to imagine we're going to be getting to quarterbacks a lot faster as well. Yeah, and I think we got a linebacker crew that, like uh, Gannon said, versatile. They've got some speed. All they can blitz, or right. they can they drop can, back. And they can drop back in coverage. They can QB spy. Right, right, and I think that's a big thing that we need is a QB spy. Agreed, especially yeah. with this preponderance of dual threat QBs exactly. taking over exactly. the league. And I don't know if you call it. Well, yeah, weakness probably is at the safety. Who's our safety sure. going to be? But you know what? With two strong corners like that and everything else we built around, it's easy to hide that position. I agree. And I, I don't know how much of this comes from kind of rationalizing. It seems like our number one safety is going to be Marcus Epps. Right. Who wasn't even a full-time starter last no, year. exactly. So that's very much a gamble. Right. And so I wonder if it's it's almost like we've already accepted he's going to be our safety, so now we have to start rationalizing right. <laughs> about how good Marcus Epps is. Sell it to the tell it to the uh, fans. Right? Yeah, exactly. Sell it to yourself and then yeah. sell it to the fans. <laughs> but uh, I have seen a bunch of articles coming out in the last two weeks or so talking about how Marcus Epps is working hard and he's looking really good. Yeah, I've heard the saying. Hopefully and, it's so. Yeah, hopefully it's so. You, you already have Darius Slay. You bring in another veteran and a pro bowler, James Bradbury. Yeah. That's going to elevate Epps' play. Absolutely. And it's going to elevate how hard he works in practice because he has a vision of what a good secondary unit looks right. like. Yeah. Yeah. I think it makes playing safety a lot easier, too. Probably makes playing safety a lot easier. You only have one really good secondary guy like Darius Slay. You can learn how to be a good secondary guy, but you don't know how to play off of another good secondary right. guy. Whereas I think maybe Epps is going to learn from Bradbury, oh, this is how you actually work together to exponentially or to, to, to compound the benefits yeah. of having multiple elite secondary Gain guys. Gain some synergy there. Absolutely. Gain some synergy yeah. there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, good point. All right. Another topic I wanted to revisit that we brought up in past episodes was one of the positives we've seen in this offseason is how many good acquisitions we've gotten. Absolutely. Both in free agency and from the draft. Yeah. But we haven't thought as much of how that impacts some of the Eagles players who have been with the organization for multiple years and have simply not worked out in the, it, the way that we thought they would work right. out. For the fans, these acquisitions are awesome. Right. But for the players who've been fighting for a roster spot for the last few years or who've disappointed, who've come up short... These acquisitions are scary because yeah, it means that their journey to a roster spot has gotten that much harder. Absolutely. I think there are some obvious names that come up that aren't as well known, but what are some of the more prominent names? People, uh, athletes who've been with the Eagles organ organization 
for a couple years who haven't worked out in the way that we thought they would work out. And then with these off-season acquisitions are really beginning to not just fear that they're not going to be a starter, but that they may not even make the team. I think a couple of those names are former first-round picks. Okay. I think the first one that comes to mind, it got to be Jalen Rager. Absolutely. Story hasn't changed with him. I think he's got two opportunities. I think his first opportunity is as an additional wide receiver. And so far, that hasn't really worked out. It hasn't looked looked well. He obviously did not work out as a starting wide receiver. Right. But there was still this hope. He, he had a, a lot of unique characteristics. Yeah. If he such could, that in special situations, right. he, he could bring some element to the offense that no one else could. I think a lot of people were thinking he could have a little, some Darren Sproles shots. Yeah, you know? right. Some some bubble screens, right. some jet sweeps. And we just haven't seen that. We haven't seen any combination of that. He hasn't brought any wrinkle to the offense. Right, right. And of course they they've used him as a return man and that hasn't been impressive either. Not only has he not had really any big returns. Right. But on top of that, he's muffed a few really important yeah. punts or, or or kick returns. Yeah, he has enough where they Put someone else in there. That's kind of the double whammy with Jalen Rager. His billing coming out of TCU, he was not only this incredible wide receiver, but he was also just this dynamic presence on the special teams. Right. So that's kind of a double disappointment. It's funny because that brings to mind what you just said about rookies coming into the NFL and the game being so much faster. Right. It's got to be so much faster than Jalen Rager ever saw. At TCU. Rager's main thing was his speed, right? Right. So you take that away, and all of a sudden, yeah. he doesn't have the thing he usually goes back to. Right. Deleted his all his social media Social media with regard to, to Eagles, Eagles when they picked up A.J. Brown. Well, that's the new thing, apparently, in professional sports is... That's the calling card. You get ticked I'm out of here. Exactly. Yeah, I'm out of here. Here's how I'm going to tell you. I'm just going to delete all my references on social media. Different world. Different world. But that's not a good sign. No. Another one is Devin Allen. Yeah, right. The Olympic hurdler who we yeah. signed to a three-year contract yeah. recently. Now, I see his opportunities being the flip-flop of Rager. He's got an open spot that he needs to pull, and that's as a return man. All right. So if, if, if Rager needs to kind of be this gadget backup wide receiver right. first, and then a special teams guy second, right. you're saying... Devin Allen is the inverse of that. Exactly. He, first and foremost, has got to prove himself in the return game. Right, right. And the guy's got such incredible speed. Literally Olympic-level speed. Yeah, and he has played football at at a big level. Yeah, University of Oregon for several years. That's coaching. Right, right. Let's see how they can coach him up. I don't know if he did any of the return game at Oregon. Not that I know of. Yeah. How great would that be to have a real uh, threat like that? On the return game. When was the last time we returned a punt or a kickoff for a touchdown? Yeah, I really can't we remember. We might go back to Deshaun Jackson or something. Yeah. So I think that's a great uh, opportunity for Devin Allen to, to make a roster spot. And then you throw in a bonus. Hey, and oh, by the way, you know, the guy was a wide receiver. Yeah. And you put his speed out there. You put him and Quez Watkins out on the same play. Who are you going to cut? That's a lot of speed out there. Yeah, that's a lot of speed out there. You're going to have to have some fast cornerbacks. Yeah. Or yeah. safety willing willing to cover deep. Right. 
or you just run run, run their cornerbacks into the ground. You've got Watkins coming in one play, running. Devin Allen around. coming Devin in the Al- next. Exactly. Both, both just running fly routes. Right. We may not even look your way. Just run as fast as you can down and the exhaust field. the cornerback. <laughs> right. That'd be brutal. Yeah. So those so those are two. Jalen Rager, Devin Allen, both yeah. prominent names. Devin Allen because he's an Olympic hurdler right. who hasn't played football since his sophomore year at college. Right, right. Jalen Rager because he was our first-round draft pick yeah. two years ago, and it was an extremely controversial pick. Yeah. And then another controversial first-round pick, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. I think a lot of people forget that he was a first-round draft pick. Not only was he a first-round draft pick, yeah. but D.K. Metcalf was available when we picked him. Yes, he was. Yeah, and you know, you think of Rager and Justin Jefferson, yeah, and how we didn't do that right, and then you think of White. Could you imagine if we had a team right now where we had DK Metcalf and Justin Jefferson and Devonte Smith? Yes. Oh my yeah. gosh, unreal. That's unreal. That would be unreal. So I, I really don't, I, I don't see a spot for our Sega White unless he's an incredible special teams guy. Which is hard to imagine. Yeah, coverage on punts or kick return coverage, not necessarily return. And not um, and not to make light of it or a joke, he really is a good blocker. Yeah. You know, I could see him being used on uh, sealing the edge on like a pitch play. Right. But at the same time, if you're a defensive coordinator and you know Arcega Whiteside doesn't present a throwing threat. Right. When you bring him in. What's he in there for? Right. You're tipping the defense off that right. it's going to be a run play. Yeah. Um, I, the only slot I see him is if we're, we're, we've got a two tight end set and, and he's the other tight end. And we picked up a tight end in the draft. Picked up a tight end in the draft and added another one. So it, it's, you know, it's a the pretty. The future deep... is not looking bright for no, our Sega White side. So. And I think that might be a difference between him and Rager. I would say Rager is very much fighting to be a relevant player on the Philadelphia Eagles. Right. But I don't think, let's say he has just a a mid-range season again and we decide to release him. I have a hard time believing uh, several teams aren't going to want to try him out. Yeah. Yeah. Someone will pick him up. Yeah. I would say with our Sega white side, he's very much playing to say in the NFL. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Unless you can see a uh, an, an Aguilar story out of him. But even right. Aguilar had some uh, good days here. Right. I haven't really seen one from J.J. or Sega white side. No, I agree. Yeah. So those are, the, those are the three big names I see as being on the bubble, if you will. Yeah. So let's keep our eyes on them, especially yeah. going into those preseason games. Absolutely. Cool. All right, and the last topic I wanted to talk about on our main show, Jordan Davis. We were super excited that we picked him up. We thought it was a great move by Howie. He moved up because the Ravens were going to get him, and we moved one position ahead of the Ravens and got him. Right. Of course, the Ravens to pick up the safety, Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. And again, that's that's a Howie tactic. It is. I, I could see that being a total Howie move. Yep, it was great. Yeah. And... We mentioned that Jordan Davis is just a freak of an athlete. Yeah. He is the fastest ever over 325-pound football player to run the 40-yard dash. Mm. And he's well over 325 yeah. pounds. You know, he's not coming in at 326. <laughs> he's coming in at 345. Right. But despite his incredible athleticism, Georgia really only used him on first and second down. And they used him for one thing primarily – and that was to just blow up the middle 
so that yeah. teams could not run in between the tackles so long as Davis was out there. Right. And I asked you a couple weeks ago, given his athletic attributes, you would think that in addition to blowing up the middle, taking on a double or triple team, right? he could also be utilized to get to the quarterback. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's not how Georgia used him. And you had said that is all going to depend on how he plays with Fletcher, Fletcher Cox. Yeah, and how the Eagles use those two together. Right. So if you have Davis playing at the same time as Cox, you can't double or triple team both of right. them, right? Because then someone's going free, whether it's a linebacker exactly. or an edge rusher, and getting to the quarterback immediately. Right. So if Davis and Cox are in there, you got to imagine one of them is going to get to the QB. Right. Whereas if we're using Davis as more of Cox's replacement, we know Cox gets tired quickly. Right. Cox is in there on first or second down. He comes out and Davis goes in. Then Davis might maintain the role he played at Georgia. Right. And that is just blowing the middle up. Right. Exactly. But there was actually an interesting article that came out this week, and it was the defensive coordinator, Gannon, and he got asked about this. Are you going to utilize Davis like he was utilized at Georgia, just blowing up the middle, mostly playing first and second down? Or do you have a different game plan for him? I would hope he said he had a different game plan. He did. Because looking at things in perspective, the Eagles defense, although I think is very strong, Georgia was two men deep at every position on D. Yeah. It was they, don't, a- they don't need Jordan Davis to do anything more than clog up the middle. On first and second down right. and then take him out. Yeah, yeah. That keeps them fresh. Right. Now, the Eagles, I don't think, are that deep. Sure. But I do love the idea of you basically have Fletcher Cox out there 24-7, which we haven't had in a long time, if you're substituting Davis Co- in for Cox. Davis for Cox, right. Yeah. yeah. And and on the rare occasion when the stars align, you got both, both of there, them in there. That's incredible. That's a phenomenal duo. There and then you've got all the supporting pieces at linebacker and cornerback. You there. do. No, I like it. So I, I, I'm hoping Gannon said no. This, this stays with that that term versatility that I threw out there. Yep. Versatility. He's going to be doing more than just clogging the middle. Although he's going to clog the middle a lot. That's exactly what he said. And Good I'm, deal. I'm excited because again, when you look at Jordan Davis, he's 345 pounds. His 40 yard dash time was a 4.76. Wow. Jalen Hurts. A dual threat quarterback only ran like a 4.59 or 4.57. Wow. So you're talking a very, very small margin between how fast Davis is running and how fast Hertz is running. Right. So you're going to see Davis at 340 pounds running some QBs down this year. Yeah. That'll be interesting. That'll be great to see. Maybe this was part of the whole thing. I wasn't crazy about them bringing Fletcher Cox back, but if we can use this year. For Fletcher Cox to pass on some experience and wisdom to Jordan Davis, man, that that will help a rookie out big time. 100% agreed. Yeah. Kind of that that mentor theme that we were talking about the last episode. Yeah, and hopefully Utcher's up for that role, and I don't see why he wouldn't be. No, I don't either. All right, DB, thanks. That's a great main show. Yeah, I loved it. We're going to bounce to our sideshow topics, and we just have one. And that is, if I were a betting man. Okay. So the one line we've been bringing up repeatedly on this show has been the 
NFC East line and the likelihood of the Cowboys winning it or the Eagles winning it. Right. Now, despite all the moves that the Eagles have made, in addition to the schedules coming out where you have Dallas with a pretty tough schedule. Game one and game two, Dallas, I think they've got Tennessee and Cincinnati. That's a brutal start yeah. to the year. Yeah. The Eagles, instead of having Tennessee and Cincinnati, they've got uh, what, Detroit. Pittsburgh and Detroit. Yeah. That's, I'll take that swap. Yeah, I'll take that swap <laughs> any day. So, so in addition to the offseason moves the Eagles made, which I think far outstripped the offseason moves that the Cowboys made, Right, you you could e- you could even argue that the Cowboys got a little worse in the offseason. Yeah, losing Amari Cooper, Absolutely. Cedric Wilson, mm-hmm. some of their other key pieces. Whereas the Eagles, we think, got significantly better. Yeah, and Zeke isn't getting any younger. Zeke isn't getting any younger. Then then the schedules come out, and the Eagles' schedule looks significantly easier than the Cowboys' schedule. Absolutely. Could the Eagles win the NFC East? The big question mark is. Can they actually beat the Cowboys? They got slapped silly both games last year by the Cowboys. So that's a big question mark. But with that being said, if I were a betting man, right now the odds are for every dollar you put in on the Eagles winning the NFC East, you're going to get two back. That's two to one odds. I like those odds. That's a pretty soft line. I I agree. I like those odds because yeah, we've got a much better schedule than the Cowboys do. Eagles bye week is week seven. I look at the first five weeks, and Eagles should be three and two. They should take Detroit. They should take Washington. They should take Jacksonville. Yeah, and those two losses are, are being somewhat conservative. Yeah, like Minnesota and Arizona. Minnesota two teams that are beatable. Winnable. And Arizona, who knows what's going on in Arizona with yeah. Tyler Murray not being, being happy. Potentially discontent. Yep. Yeah. Cowboys open with Tampa Bay and Cincinnati. Ouch. Ouch. Exactly. Oh, I'm thinking 0 and 2 there. Then they've got the Giants of Washington, so 2 and 2. Come back from that in week 5, they've got the LA Rams. Yikes. So we could have the Eagles worst case scenario, I think at 3 and 2. And the Cowboys likely scenario likely being scenario, 2 and 3. Two and 3 and then we meet up in Philly for week 6 and then we've got a bye week 7. So if we win that game, we yep. could go into our bye week at 4 and 2 and hey. the Cowboys would be at 2 and yep. 4. Two games up on the Cowboys. Yikes. Yeah. And I bet you even if it does the rest of the season doesn't play out like right. you want it to. Right. Your bet slip with those 2 to 1 odds. Oh yeah, it's got to be going up. It's got to be going up. You could cash it in there if you yeah. don't want to ride it out for the rest of the Absolutely. season. Absolutely. Are we going to put some money on this soft we'll line? Put money on that soft line. You bet it. We're hitting that. Sweet, man. I like it. <laughs> And the other line we've been bringing up is the over-under on games won in the NFC East. Right. Originally, when the line came out, it was the Cowboys at 10.5, the Eagles at 8.5, the Redskins, I'm sorry, the Commanders at (laughs) 7.5. The Washington whatevers. The Washington whatevers (laughs) at 7.5, and and the Giants at 7. We said Giants at 7 was a soft line. Right. We're going under on that. Right. They're not going to get 7 wins. But... We thought the Eagles' eight-and-a-half line was pretty fair. Right. right. They won nine games last year. Some mm-hmm. of their wins were really tight, could have gone either way. Right. So I would say nine-and-eight was overachieving for the Eagles. Exactly, yeah. But after the offseason that we've had where we've acquired all these weapons, then the schedule comes out, and it turns out we have pretty much an, a, a, as as easy as a schedule as we did last I year. I think so. I think so. 
that eight and a half line moved to nine and a half. That's a big move. That's a big move. Yeah. So is that still a soft line that, that you would hit or? I think so. Part of it, you want to be careful in getting caught up in this euphoria of, hey, finally, when was the last time we came out of a draft or off-season moves and said, Looking like a juggernaut. Yeah, and the whole league is saying that. So I think that's a line we can definitely hit, even if they don't play to the level that we expect. It's kind of like the Jalen Hurts thing. He doesn't have to be an MVP quarterback. Right, these rookies don't need to come out and play like pro bowlers. Right. Right, exactly. I think we can easily get over that that nine and a half. Cool, man. So here's what I'm thinking of doing. I think we start the year off with a hundred dollars, right? And bets that we're really sure about, right? Maybe we'll put a ten percent stake okay. on our lines. Bets that we're a little more unsure about, we'll do a five percent stake. Five percent sounds good. And we'll just go from there. So this this over underline, I would say five percent stake. I think there's okay. a pretty pretty good whereas I think the Eagles winning the NFC East with those odds with those odds I mean a 2 to 1 odds we put up 10 bucks right we're going to get our 10 bucks back and then an additional 20 right I think that's that's a line you hit at a 10% rate not a 5% yeah. rate yeah and I'm hoping uh, Vegas isn't sitting back there right now saying, yep, that's what we got him. We got him. <laughs> we threw the hook out there. Let's reel them in, guys. Those Philly fans, man, yeah. they come in easy. <laughs> Philly's a gold mine. We'll take some Homer cash out of Philly. <laughs> well, well, DB, awesome show. Thanks, man. You bet. Take enjoy, enjoy the long weekend. Oh, yeah. Down the shore. <laughs>